Good of you to stop by again. Welcome back to the Gallery of Curiosities. I remain, as always, your humble host, Osgood. You caught me on a rather interesting day, and not simply because it's Halloween. You see, a local circle of healers had acquired an artifact which they believed to be genuine unicorn horn. So, of course, they brought it to me for an expert opinion before putting it to use. Most unicorn horns, you understand, are actually antique narwhal. However, unicorns did in fact exist, and knowing the difference betwixt the two is something someone in my line of work needs to know. Here, take a look. What do you think? As you can see, it's been made into a walking stick. Quite nicely done, I must say. These were sought after by arthritics and war veterans back in the day for their healing properties. Hence the cheap arctic knockoffs. Capitalism rears its ugly head once again. At any rate, this evening's exhibit comes from Ms. Julie Frost, an award-winning author who writes every shade of speculative fiction. Her short stories appear in Monster Hunter Files, Writers of the Future, Tales of Rumor, Story Hack, and many others. Her novel series, Pack Dynamics, is published by Worldfire Press. She whines about writing a lot at agilebrit.lifejournal.com. My horse squealed, reared, bucked, and pitched me headfirst onto a giant, yellow-flowered, prickly pear patch. I landed face-to-face with an enormous, buzzing rattlesnake and understood why my usually placid gelding had gone suddenly loco. The rattler's head was bigger than my fist. Panic drenched my pores with sweat. I scrambled desperately to escape, but the rattler struck far more quickly than any human could dodge. Its fangs sunk deep into my forearm and delivered a dose of venom that burned on contact. Tail still rattling, it pulled back and flicked its tongue before slittering off into the sage. My horse, the traitor, stampeded away before I could catch him up. I pulled the bandana from my neck with shaky fingers and used it to tourniquet my arm, a futile act of desperation. The nearest town lay days away on foot, too far to make before I succumbed to the poison in my blood. I had to try though, didn't I? I heaved myself upright and started that way, the hammer of the midday sun beating a relentless refrain on the anvil of my back. In a short span of time, my arms swelled and turned black, the skin sloughing away to expose decaying muscle. Fiery pain radiated from the bite, racking my entire body with agony. Over the course of the day and into the next, my walk slowed to a stumble and then a crawl. I faded in and out, my awareness settling into a concentrated pinpoint of get to town. Delirious with fever, I finally collapsed in the dubious shade of a skeletonized cedar bush beside a greenish, poisoned water hole. Scattered animal bones littered the vicinity, along with the freshly expired body of my former mount, croaking vultures ripping at its swollen belly. 
I was incredibly thirsty, my canteen having run out after less than a day, but that water would kill me faster than a snake bite. Part of me longed for a quick death, but the rotten egg and tar stink was enough to keep me away. The soft clop of walking hooves and dirt drew near. A shadow loomed over me. At first I thought a mustang had wandered by, but no wild bronc was this shining white, sporting a spiral horn in the middle of its forehead. Clearly, I was hallucinating. The beast blew through its lips, sniffing my face, chest, and arm, warm breath ghosting over me. It made a noise down in its throat and touched the tip of the horn to the snake bite. A pleasant tingle suffused my body, and I stared in fascination as the blackness across my skin retreated and the wound knit before my eyes, leaving smooth and unmarked flesh behind. I sat up and flexed my fingers, which moved freely for the first time since the bite. The critter tilted its head, regarding me from trusting brown eyes, and then it curled up beside me, laying its head in my lap with a contented sigh. I reached out my hand, hesitating before straightening the forelock around that lethal-looking horn and touching the long face. If this was a hallucination, it was an awfully tactile one. The pain had disappeared like mist before a morning sun, and I wondered if I was dead but neither singing angels nor horned demons arrived to escort me to the afterlife. I was alone with this remarkable, otherworldly creature lying peacefully at my side. After a few moments, the other miseries of the situation impinged on my awareness. My mouth was dry and foul-tasting, with nothing to swallow down my equally dry throat. As if sensing my discomfort, the critter lifted its head and gracefully rose to its feet. It walked over to the waterhole, touched its horn to the surface, causing the murky water to shimmer from that point and then clear all the way to the bottom. The stink receded, replaced by the scent of a meadow after a rain. I crept forward, salt and alkali crumbling beneath my knees, and lowered my face to drink. It was the coolest, sweetest water I'd ever tasted, and it restored me to full strength as I gulped my fill. After I sated my thirst, I was struck by a thought that froze me to the spot. The horn healed. If only I'd had it with me on the Civil War battlefields I'd left back east. My medical training hadn't done much good in the face of carnage like that, but with that horn, the possibilities were staggering. I turned them over in my head while I studied the creature more closely. She was female, and I decided to call her Luna because her soft radiance reminded me of the moon. She indicated no desire to take her leave and even allowed me to examine her teeth and feet. Other than that extraordinary horn and the glow, she was a perfectly normal horse with hairy fetlocks and hooves that had never seen shoes. The horn. I kept coming back to that. It had healed the snakebite and turned a poisoned waterhole pure. I wondered if Luna would allow me to borrow her, in essence, to help my patients. First, however, I had to get to town, which was still a couple of days away on foot. Would she let me ride her? After shooing the vultures away, I pulled the tack off my dead gelding and approached her with the saddle, talking in a soothing manner all the while. She waited placidly while I saddled her, like she'd been doing it all her life. But she didn't like the bit, so after some consideration, I rigged the bridle as a hackamore instead. When I mounted up and clicked my tongue at her, she trotted obediently in the direction I steered. I felt truly blessed, 
things were looking up for the first time since I'd left Appomattox. She took me to a decent-sized Colorado mining town without a noise of complaint or objection. The folks who lived there were only too happy to have a doctor move in, even if he was accompanied by a shiny horse with a horn in the middle of her forehead. Luna was devoted to me, her affection more like that of a dog than a horse, and I returned it wholeheartedly. She'd saved my life, after all. I talked to her the same way I'd talked to a person, and there were times I swore she understood. She allowed children to take shocking liberties with her. They played around her feet, pulled her tail, and rode her bareback with nary care. But she received everyone else with the ferocity of a tiger, especially the saloon girls. She'd get a glint in her eye and bare her teeth, shaking her mane if a woman approached too close for her liking. I didn't mind overmuch. One disastrous romance in my youth had spoiled me for female entanglements long ago, and the simple life of a bachelor suited me. To my disappointment, her devotion to me and her hostility to others meant using the horn to help patients was a non-starter. She'd as soon stab him as look at him, as I discovered the first time I tried to coax her into touching her horn to a miner who came to me with a bad cough. I managed to stop her killing him, but only just. He scrambled inside and slammed the door shut behind him while I calmed Luna in front of my house. Once I was sure she was alright, I went inside and gave the shaken miner my old standby cough remedy, which consisted of a mixture of molasses, honey, white wine vinegar, and laudanum. Oh, Luna, I scolded her, exasperated, after he left. She bumped me with her nose and waffled, while I eyed the horn and wondered idly what would happen if I took it from her. That's all it was at that point, idle speculation. I didn't have to wonder if the horn would heal anyone but me. The town children came down with the usual maladies and injuries, and she allowed me to bring them to her with no fuss. They walked away healed even from such things as broken bones or, or pox. It was nothing short of miraculous. And we needed a miracle, I thought a few days later, staring grimly down at Carl Ryan, who ran the dry goods store. He'd been crossing the street when an out-of-control stagecoach careened around a corner and ran him over. One of his four young children came running for me, out of breath and sobbing. I mounted Luna bareback and raced to the scene of the accident. Carl's wife was sickly. Her last childbirth had nearly killed her, and she'd never quite recovered. She couldn't run the store by herself if he died, nor could she take care of the kids alone. In desperation, I looked to Luna, but she shook her mane warningly at anyone who came too near her. Carl was drowning in his own blood, right in front of me. I'd seen far too many injuries like this on the battlefield. Swallowing hard, I stood up and said, I'll be right back. Don't follow me. Luna, come. Ignoring questions and carrying my medical bag, I took her into an alleyway between the dry goods store and the saloon. I needed that horn. I'd grown up on a ranch. Dehorning cattle was a straightforward operation, so I had no reason to think that dehorning Luna would harm her. I delved into my medical kit, which included a much-used-and-abused bone saw. I settled into a cross-legged sit, remembering how Luna had rested her head in my lap the first time. She did it again, and I stroked her calmingly, running my fingers up and down that wondrous spike. I'm sorry, I choked, grasping her horn firmly. I was efficient with the saw. Three strokes, and the horn was off. 
Luna let out a pained cry, jerking away, her blood jetting out over my hands and shirt. Easy, easy, I said, grabbing my kerchief and pressing it to the wound. Stupid. Should have remembered it would do that. She laid her head back across my legs and wheezed. I caressed her neck and face, murmuring, keeping her calm, hoping she'd forgive me. Her glow faded, slightly, but I didn't think anything of that, not until later. The bleeding soon stopped. I wished I had more time to comfort Luna, but Carl was dying. I might have already taken too long. Breathing a last apology to her, I raced back to my patient with the horn in my hand and touched the tip of it to his chest. For a long moment, nothing happened, and I despaired, thinking I'd disfigured Luna for nothing. But then he inhaled, without that horrible death rasp, his broken arms and legs flexing back to normal. It had worked. Doc, what did you do? One of the saloon girls asked, pointing at the horn. Luna chose that moment to shoulder her way through the crowd and bump my back with her nose. I looked up at her and noted, with guilt, the slight trickle of blood running down her forehead. What I had to, I answered. With leaden steps, I took her home. She forgave me, though I didn't deserve it. At first, I used the horn for every illness they came to me with. But as time passed, I started noticing that it took longer to work the more I used it, and Luna was growing peaked and poorly, though her decline was gradual. I tried touching her with the horn, but it didn't perk her up even a tiny bit, which I thought was a shame since it belonged to her in the first place. I stopped using it for anything but emergencies. Her ribs showed, and her coat dulled, and she resembled any other white horse you'd see in a livery stable. The farrier found nothing wrong other than a general failure to thrive. The wound on her forehead never did heal. We carried on normally for many years. The town boomed for a while, then busted as the gold ran out. Then someone found a vein of silver, and the boom started again. As was usual in such-like circumstances, the boom brought unsavory elements in. The sheriff couldn't always corral them. I was riding home one night after a late call out to a ranch, eyes tired and gritty, not paying as much attention as I ought. A man dressed in dark clothing, riding a black horse, came charging up the trail at me with such urgency I figured he needed my help. I stopped Luna and hailed him. Turned out he was nothing but a human rattlesnake. He pulled a six-shooter and aimed it square at my chest. You're the doctor, he growled, and I reckon you're a rich man. Hand over what money you got on you and tell me where you've stashed the rest and you might live. I got indignant, which probably wasn't the best course of action. He barely let me get a sentence out before his gun roared and something punched me in the chest, sending me tumbling off Luna's back to land in the dust, blood bubbling up my throat. Luna let out an enraged roar, a sound I'd never heard a horse make in my life, and charged the bandit. His mount turned to flee of its own accord, but she was on him before it got more than a couple of steps. She leaped high and landed in the middle of its back. It collapsed under her weight with a spine-cracked grunt and didn't move again. Luna scrambled to her feet, ears flat against her head, teeth bared, intent on finishing the bandit. She snaked her head forward to take a hunk out of him while he attempted to crawl away. He wasn't moving too well, and I automatically cataloged his injuries, broken leg and ribs at the least. Her jaws snapped again and again, front and rear feet lashing out at him too, and he let out ungodly screeches as she tore him up. But I had more urgent concerns, such as the bullet 
that had blown through my lung and out my back. My vision dimmed. I couldn't breathe. Lou. Luna. I managed. Her head whipped around, and she galloped over to me, lowering her head to snuffle at my profusely bleeding chest. I raised my hand and stroked her nose once. I'm sorry, I said. I'm sorry. I hurt you. She snorted and dropped to her knees, pressed her scabbed forehead where the horn had been to my wound. Luna, no, I started. Too late. She'd healed me again, and then that faithful animal, whom I'd wronged so horribly all those years ago, crumpled the rest of the way into the ground and breathed her last. When the townsfolk followed the bandit's trail back to us, they found me sitting with Luna's head cradled in my lap, bawling like a baby. Our narrator for this evening was Mr. Jim Hodgson. If you would like to hear more of him, do look up his excellent comedy audio drama podcast, Bad Gladiator. For the glory of Rome. So, how does one find a unicorn amongst all the narwhal fakes? <laughs> it's simplicity itself. You simply examine the core. You see, a unicorn is a horn, hence the name. However, a narwhal is a tooth, and therefore quite hollow. All you need to do is hold it up to a very strong light, or in the case of this walking stick, twist off the head, and voila, quite hollow. This is narwhal. Good place to keep a nip of whiskey if that's your flavor. Pity. They'll be so disappointed. Mind you, I do have one or two bona fide specimens kicking around the gallery, which I could sell to them if they're interested. For a stiff premium, of course. Supply and demand and all that. At any rate, you should be on your way. This evening is Halloween, and there are pumpkins to smash. Do take care to cause some mischief on your way, and come visit us again next time at... The Gallery of Curiosities. Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution, no derivatives license. All story copyrights remain with the authors. Our theme song is Ashes Ashes by Deus Ex Vapora Machina. To keep this podcast healthy, be sure to share it with your friends and leave stars and reviews online. This episode was produced with a day to spare in October of 2019. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com. that these race blades will simply not do. I need double-sided. Always double-sided. <laughs>